welcome all of our family, uh, both in Novato and Kevin, my friend Kevin. I want to welcome our old town campus and Duane and Tulare Street and Brandon. Even our online community, we're so glad you join us. And Sean Meyer is overseeing that. So we've got, you know, ministers that are overseeing all of these campuses. Uh, and God has been so kind to us in the work uh, that we have put our hands to. Now, one of the things I want to do before I dive in this morning, my name's Mitch. Um, I, I'll say this. Uh, yeah, I'm the minister of stuff here. Stuff, I call it stuff. Um, I was thinking earlier this morning, uh, I think it's a good thing. It's a good sign. Do you remember when uh, your, kids, your, your kids became adults, got old enough, where you actually felt like you could go out of town and leave them? Does anybody, anybody resonate with that? Well, here's the thing. It must be good because Pastor Sean and Scott are both gone this weekend, and they left me here at the house. Okay, so I want to make, make sure that I uh, really manage that uh, careful trust really, really well. Um, hey, I, I want to share with you a Raised to Life update, and it's this. God is just doing some phenomenal things in the life of our church, including the fact that I'm, I want to announce this morning that we are in the process of adding another campus. Yeah. And uh, the, the Selma First Baptist Church, there's a man named Arley and a leadership team there. It's a beautiful, look at some of these pictures. It's a beautiful, historic, it's a hundred-plus-year-old church with a long and beautiful history. Um, we've been in prayerful conversation, and we've had meetings and leadership discussions, which ultimately have resulted in their leadership team voting, our trustee uh, board voting, and it is a resounding yes. Yeah. So... God in His kindness is allowing us to continue increase our influence not only in the city but in the region and beyond, and we're super humbled by that. Now, let, let me make this abundantly clear. It is possible because of the church being the church, uh, us actively engaging and following Jesus and being generous with our time and resources, all of that is what enables us to even have the consideration to do more and add more campus, because with that becomes complexity, more staffing. We already have identified and hired a campus uh, minister there. It's going to be awesome, 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 but we would uh, really gratefully appreciate your prayers as God continues to lead and direct us uh, in that way. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. We've been in this series called It Takes a Church. I got the assignment for the holiday weekend, okay? And I looked at it and realized we've been really looking at our core values as a church, the things that we're all about, the things that we bleed. And I realized the only one left of our core values is fun. Yeah. So I went to Sean and said, Sean, Here's the deal. If you would trust me with the assignment, I, I, I can't do that. 
message right now. It's, 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 it's not my season. If you want to reassign it, I'm fine with that. Uh, and so he kindly gave me the liberty to just do a message. Pastor Scott, perfect candidate, will cover fun next week. Okay? But here's the thing. You won't really understand. I'm, I don't even know if I want to call it a sermon message. I, I, I just want to share my heart with you this morning about things that God's been teaching me. Really, I guess this message, this heartfelt sharing, time of sharing for me really is the summation of both a summer Sabbath that I enjoyed with my wife and our kids and grandkids, friends this week, uh, this summer. What that means is we take four weeks in July and we go away and we have nothing on the calendar. And some of you are thinking, wow, what a luxury for you, Mitch. <laughs> That's great for you. I don't have that luxury. Here, here's the thing. I've realized I'm just fast approaching my 40th year of ministry as a pastor. And here's the thing. I need it. I don't hesitate at all to say I need to get away for a month of rejuvenation and, and replenishment so that I can come back and pour it out again. I, get, I, deep drink, drink, I drink deeply from the living water for a month. But here's the thing. Um, this summer was unusual because we're still neck deep in our own traumatic grief as a family. 220 days ago, our son Jonah, 31 years old, tragically died. And we can't unhook from that. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't just sort of put that on pause. There is no pause button for that. It just, it just comes at you in waves. And so, just so grateful um, that we had this time. It's so grateful for what God did because Jamie and I were both a little bit anxious going in. Like, what will it be like for four weeks with no schedule, nothing to distract us, no, no nothing, but just to sort of sit and contemplate and think deeply. And it, it ended up being really beautiful. Deep reading, long walks, deep conversations, 20-mile bike rides. We took our bikes this year uh, along the coastline, uh, making crazy memories with our kids and grandkids. It was just phenomenal. Our best friends, Scott and Amy Huska, we spent a week with them. It's become really treasured. But part of what happened to me is I, I latched onto a song. I call it my summer anthem by Tori Kelly from Psalm 42. And so I think to begin our time together. I'd like you to stand. I'm going to make you stand twice today, okay? You can be mad at me if you want, but I'm going to make you stand. Standing's actually good for you. I now have a motorized desk. I do a lot of standing when I'm working at my desk because I want to stay mobile and active as long as I can. Anyhow, Psalm 42. This is my psalm this summer. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food 
day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs His love, at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. You may be seated. So, I, don't, I can't really call this a sermon. It's just reflections. It's things that God has taught me this summer. And um, the title of the message is When Everything's on Fire. I stole that from a book, one of the six books I read in July. I don't know if I'd recommend the book. I'm not dialed into everything the author said. What resonated with me was the title. That's why I bought it. I'm like, that's how I feel a lot of the time. I feel like everything's on fire. And he did, he did mention in the book that there's something about slowing down enough over a protracted period where we can settle into more contemplative, a more contemplative state, a stillness of soul conducive to contemplation. I'm a, I've always been an advancement junkie, kind of a wired guy, always go, 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 and I'm not that anymore. God told me it's not my season for that. I've really forced and started to develop the practice of slowing down, which I, I would highly recommend to all of you, even those of you that are young, the speed with which the world is wanting us to operate at is just frenetic, and it's not helpful. It's not helpful for our souls. Can I get an amen? amen. It's good for us. I, I just call it, I want to stop and think. And I spend a whole month, I stop and think, I listen, I'm attentive. And a question for your consideration before we dive into the text. The text came to me sort of out of nowhere. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But here's the question I'd like you to consider this morning. When everything seems to be on fire, is it possible to forge a, a valid and vibrant faith? I just want you to think about that because fire is an important uh, image in the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about fire. It can be consuming, it can be destructive, but it also can be very redemptive and refining, can it not? Isn't that what the Scripture teaches? God does important purifying work 
in fire, in the fire. The Holy Spirit came, tongues of fire. So I just want you to ask yourself, and you know, when, when things or when everything seems to be on fire, is it possible to forge a valid and vibrant faith? And I, I'm here to testify. I'm just one guy testifying of God's presence, God's goodness, when everything's on fire. And I just, I've got to believe this morning that there's a lot of people that are going through some kind of fire. The long, longer I uh, shepherd people, the more I realize we're human beings and there's elements of brokenness and there's heartache and pain, trial, trauma, and tragedy like happening pretty much all the time. It's, it's rare when it's just all settled and good. Amen? So could it be, could it be that this is part of God's purposeful plan in our lives, not to take us out of it, but to teach us in it. That there's something that actually the God of the universe is delighted and, and enthusiastic about doing in our lives personally, in our, in our life in community, in the fire. And uh, as Pastor, Pastor Sean was preaching last week on the core value, devotion to God and His Word, centrality of the Bible. I had all sorts of thoughts. And here was the thought. Part of my thought was the book has not saved me through this trauma. It's a relationship with Jesus that has saved me over and over again. The book. Now listen, some of you go, what? Throw the Bible away? No, that's not what I said. There's been times when I can't even open the Bible. I can't even bring myself to open it. But the presence of God has never left me. And there is a sustaining presence that is available to all of us. Not in spite of, but especially because of and through and this really is the heart of my message this morning. It was interesting. I'm, you know, part of the staff, and I had to go to the website. Because <laughs> I've been curious uh, about, I, I, I understand, and I could recite our core values, but I'm curious the history behind them. And then I went, I looked on the website, and I saw where they were posted, and I saw with devotion to God and His Word, I saw sort of the subphrase, and it's, listen to this. We, we believe in growing in a love relationship with Jesus. And in the Bible as our guide in life. A growing relationship with Jesus and, and the Bible as our guide in life. And here's the thing, I, I just believe that God, through this message and through this text this morning, is eager to reveal Himself. And I say that because I remember these words from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1, 15 and 16, when God 
But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. I just believe that God is a God of revelation. I believe that God is so eager to reveal Himself to every one of us in this auditorium this morning. He's so eager online, campuses. He's so eager to reveal Himself to you. And i got to say this. He's so eager. I want to say to the youth in here, like the Apostle Paul, God revealed Himself to me when I was 13 years old. He saved me. I had no idea the life that He had purposed for me. None. But He saved me and it took. And I just want to say to you, just let Him have His way in your life. Part of the author, the reason the author that wrote this book, When Everything's on Fire, touched me. He said this. He said, My longing in life is that all of my grandkids would celebrate Easter for the rest of their lives. And I thought, yeah. Yeah. Man, wouldn't that be a ride? All of my grandkids coming into a living, vibrant, thriving relationship with Jesus. So, right now I want you to turn uh, to Exodus 3, but I want to share one, two more verses before we get there, and it's just 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, because I think you might want to go back and revisit this. It's where Peter said this, "...in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor." when Jesus Christ is revealed. 1 Peter 6 and 7. Now, if you would, here's this morning's text, Exodus chapter 3. And you might say, wow, that was like a hard left. It happened by accident. I, uh, I'm, I'm crushing it on my garage gym treadmill. I'm watching Jordan Peterson's series on Exodus. And it's with a really wonderful panel of, of scholars and experts. And it was riveting. It really wrecked my workout. Because I was so attentive. I wanted to get off and take notes. It was just like things were happening. And God just showed me. He showed me why this is the passage. Like this is what He wanted me to share with you today. Let me read Exodus chapter 3 starting at verse 1. One day, one day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground, 
I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was too afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The God also said to Moses, So this, uh, say this to the people of Israel Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Bless God, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, how many of you have seen the movie? Right? I've seen the old school. I've seen the animated version. I've seen all the movies. Okay? None of them, none of them really do justice to this real history recorded in Scripture of a life-changing encounter between the transcendent God of the universe that's spoken into existence and this man, Moses, So maybe just a little backstory on Moses. I would strongly urge you, if you're a reader, I read most of this book in the last few days uh, by Charles Swindoll. He does does character studies, and he does this beautiful book on Moses. It's a fun read. If you really want to dive into this, it would be a great read. Let me just try to summarize some, some of the backstory of Moses so you just have context for the story. First of all, Moses was a miracle baby. You all know that, right? Right? He was a miracle baby. Why do I say that? Well, we were all miracle babies, right? Like, first time I saw a child, my child, come out of my wife's womb, I said, oh, that's a miracle. <laughs> and there were there would be more, no more children on this planet if it was up to me. That's, that's, that was my thought. On a serious note, Pharaoh had issued an edict. It really was infanticide. He said, listen, every Hebrew boy that's birthed, I want you to throw into the Nile River. 
So the truth of the matter is, Moses was not even supposed to live. It was a courageous act on the part of his parents that even sustained his life at birth and from birth going forward. And if you want to look at the life of Moses in segments, there's really three segments to Moses' life, and they're all 40-year segments. The first, the first was uh, this, you know, this season in Egypt where, if you know the story, he got pulled in, trained in the school of Egypt. He got raised as royalty. He was an educated man. He was a sophisticated man. He went to the best of the best schools. He got trained for leadership. He, he was the man, right? That was the first 40. The second 40 was he prematurely killed a dude trying to stand up for his people, tried to do God's will, Moses' way, and Moses' timing, and that went badly. Any of you relate to that? God's got a plan for you, and then you decide to do God's plan in your timing, in your way. So what that led to was 40 years in the wilderness on the backside of the desert. By the way, a little note to self. Desert, if you look, if you look at the root of the word, especially in the Old Testament, part of it, it means God speaks. I'll come back to that. Just think about that, the desert. God speaks. So he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert um, as a basically a fugitive in obscurity, solitude. He didn't even own his own. He was like an assistant sheep herder, which, by the way, is not a glamorous job. Assistant sheep herder. Um, and really, the where I invited you into this story is really where God, God broke a 40-year silence. It's just, it's hard for us because we read the Bible and we just see this sort of continuous story as though it's a narrative that's just happening from day to day. And yet sometimes we're looking at spans of decades. The dude has been out in the backside of the wilderness in the desert, tending, being a, a sheep herder, for almost 40 years. And we read the story and we see, oh, yeah, I've seen the movie. No, you got to understand, 40 years he's been showing up to the office over and over again. Guess what? I think it was pretty much a lot of the same, wouldn't you? There's nothing glamorous. It wasn't like, wow, this is my best life. No. And here we see God showing up in a powerful way, and we just read the story. And so here's what I'd like to do. Like in the remaining time we have, I, look, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to preach a sermon at you. I'm trying to download to you what God is teaching me and how he used this passage to speak to me in a very particular way. So let me offer you things that I've learned about God, Moses, and myself from this story. Okay? That's the way I describe it. One, 
God does important things in the desert. We, we sang about this earlier, didn't we? The mountaintop, how he works in the mountaintop and the, the valley. Now, last time I checked, maybe you're different than me. I don't want to stay in the desert. Although there's some nice resorts in the desert now, I guess we could, we'd have to admit that. Most of us do not want to set up camp in the desert. Amen? Amen. The desert is something to quickly move through. And yet, we see over and over and over again in the Bible, God accomplishing like really important stuff in the life of individuals and the life of communities and people in the desert. The desert in the Bible represents a lot of things. It represents the land between. It represents times and seasons of disorientation, periods of waiting, chapters and seasons of trial and tribulation. The interesting thing is, if you look at Moses' life, Moses spent two-thirds of his life in the desert. Two-thirds. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, I, love, I love what uh, Dwight Moody said. He said, Moses spent the first 40 years in Egypt thinking he was somebody. He spent the next 40 years in the desert learning he was nobody. And he spent his final 40 years with the Hebrew people in the wilderness discovering what God can do with nobody. So maybe part of this word for you this morning is you, you feel like a nobody. Man, you are ripe pickings for God. Because God is eager to use anybody that's open and willing to receive a revelation from Him and a download from Him and a life that is eternal from Him. I just, uh, sometimes I read the Bible and I think it's just so challenging for us because we, we just read it like we're reading any old book and we're, we're not really sensing all of the context and all the nuance and all the the detail that surrounds all of this. Because in my mind, how many times in your work have just, it's just another day at the office? It just, it's just another day. And yet, this another day at the office ended up being a life changer for Moses. Why? Because the second thing I learned about God, Moses, and myself, the invitation is to notice and respond when God reveals Himself. First, you've got to notice, then the invitation is to respond. And here's what I'll say about that I mean, respond now. Like with men, I do a lot of work with men. One of the things I tell men all the time, reject passivity. You have good intentions and you think about doing things, 
today's the day, do it. Because God will present us with invitations. He's trying to draw us in. There's something he's wanting to do in us. And really, we got to notice first, and then we have to respond. We, excuse me, we don't have to respond. The invitation is to respond. And I just think, man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad what I read here because I just see like God broke a 40-year silence. And he showed up in a burning bush that was engulfed in flames, but it wasn't burning up. So much so that it caught Moses' attention. A regular day at the office, he's like, whoa, man, this is amazing. And what's he do? i got to go check it out. And you know what? That, that act of going to check it out changed his life immeasurably. I just wonder sometimes how many times maybe God has spoken into your life, he's put you in circumstances, situations where he was just inviting you to notice and extending to you the opportunity to respond and you passed it by. I just want to encourage you this morning, don't pass it by. The third thing I learned about God, Moses, and myself from this story is encounters with God are sacred soil. I mean, what did he tell Moses? Hey, man, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. And We see in the story how Moses responded when God revealed himself like he, it, listen, it's what some scholars call the mysterium tremendum. It's an awe-inspiring mystery. It's an encounter with an all-powerful God in the face of my utter powerlessness. When you, when you encounter God in his holy otherness and you recognize just how mortal you are, how broken and sinful you are, it's really It's both an awe-inspiring thing and an awful thing. Because maybe we see more clearly than we ever have. And yet those kind of encounters with God are sacred soil. They're where He does His best work. Those are the times and seasons and moments when God really wants to speak into you and do something new. He's he's put put a new song in your mouth. God... We are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. He's wanting to do something new in you. And it all starts with our our willingness to notice and respond and then to do something with this encounter with God. Um, Because I've been part of the church for almost 50 years. Sometimes I think, why do people come to church? Why would you not choose a lot of other options that are available to you on a Sunday morning or whatever time? And I'm convinced more than ever 
It's because there's a sense of expectancy that we're going to have an encounter with the God of creation in this place. Like our online, at all our campuses, like there's a sense that God's going to show up in this place. And because of that, it becomes holy ground. And it's a little bit like he's inviting us to take our sandals off and just like, just don't miss this moment with me. There's something that I'm eager to show you, reveal to you, point out to you, convict you of. And ultimately, all of that leads to his son, Jesus. The last um, thing I learned, it's not the last thing. I, I could do a series on this one text. I could do a full series, but here for this morning's sake. And really, I got this from a Jewish scholar who talked about the Jewish people and their conviction, long-standing conviction that's held by many devout Jews that it is possible to burn and not be burned up. I want you to think about that. It's possible to burn and not be burned up. That thought has been a very sustaining thought for me in this season of my life. I have found myself accepting the mysterious nature of God. I've I found myself reading the Bible differently. I've discovered words like inscrutable. It's one of my favorite words currently. Beyond comprehension or understanding. It's in Romans 11, verse 33, if you want the street address. That means more to me today than it ever has. Like, yeah, I believe that. I believe that God also is mysterious. And that His ways sometimes are inscrutable. Beyond understanding or comprehension. I've come to grips in this earthly life that I will not have full understanding of many things. It makes me long for the day that is to come that my hope is grounded in that all things will be made right. All wrongs made right. Death is the last enemy. Death has been defeated. But one day it's going to be defeated forever. No more crying. No more sorrow. No more death. How is that possible? It's possible because God opened up heaven and sent His very own Son to accomplish what only he could accomplish on earth. Live a perfect life. Die a tragic, traumatic, unthinkable death so that he could bear the weight of all of our sin. And then God would raise him victoriously on the third day. The first 
the first of many. Many. I'm going to live fully every day of my life as long as God gives me breath. But I can tell you, my anticipation of heaven is richer and more real today than it's ever been. Because there will come a day. A day's coming. And the truth of the matter is, part of the mission of our church, it should be of every church, is we don't want we don't want anyone to not go with us. So I want to conclude in this way. I think that God could have interrupted, maybe it wasn't a 40-year desert experience for you, but maybe, maybe in this moment God has spoken to you. This is a burning bush moment for you. You've experienced a little bit of His fire this morning. And he's beckon, beckoning you to come. I, I love the fact that it's all, it, the end game for all of it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. John said it this way in 1 John 5, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I write these things to those of you who believe, believe in the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I love that. It's possible to know that you have eternal life. How? You hear every week, John, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Believe and receive. Become children. So the beautiful uh, way I want to end this is I want to extend an invitation to two groups of people. First group is if you're in the fire right now, little fire, big fire, or if everything's on fire. I want you to know that God is present and He's eager to meet you in the fire. And everything can be on fire, but you don't have to burn up. And what I mean by that, it could be when this service concludes, you may want to come down, not to get a bowl, but you, you want to come down to get some prayer. There's power in prayer. My wife, Jamie, and I, our family has been sustained by prayer, the faithful prayers of people over the last seven months. I don't know where we would be without praying family and community. It's been lifting us up. I'm just saying, why not on a Sunday morning? Maybe this is your moment to come and have somebody pray with you in the fire. Secondly, if you... Here's a great thing. I'm going to let Frank Turek... Uh, convince you, okay? Because he's an apologist. It's interesting. I don't feel a need to convince anybody anymore. I have this conviction that I just want to offer Jesus to you because he's, he's fully substantial to reveal himself to you. 
and f- to forge a relationship with you, and he, he can do it without my help. Now, I'm glad that he asked me to help him. But what I mean by that is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I, I'm going to ask some of you maybe that this is your moment. This is your burning bush moment. I'm going to ask you to pray along with me. If you don't know Jesus and want to know him, it's not complicated. Believe and receive. Receive him. And then you could come down as an act, as an act, a marker moment in your life. You could come down and get a bulb and a Bible. You could screw it into You could have a little burning. We call this a burning bush moment. I think I'm out of camera. Sorry. Nothing magical about it other than it's a moment with God, and that's, that's holy ground. So if you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time and the way in which you move. I want to pray first and foremost for anybody that's in the midst of the fire right now. Big or small, whether it's a raging fire or a little, a little fire. I just pray, God, that they, they would realize that you, you do great work in fire. And I pray they'd have the courage to come down and just, you know, access the prayers of God's people this morning. And then, God, for that person who doesn't know you yet, we're, we're just thankful that you're here this morning and you're eager for them to know you. So, God, all they would have to do is just pray along with me in this way. Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. You are the Savior. I believe you. I receive you. And if that's you this morning, that's a heart's cry, you, you know, the cry of your heart, I just... I just want to pray a blessing over you. I'd like to pray for you right now. And if you'd have the courage with every head bowed, eyes closed, this is not some circus act. This is a, I want to pray for you if this is your moment. And I'd like to invite, I'd just ask you to raise your hand so I could see your hand and know who I'm praying for. Anybody, anybody that I can, but thank you. Any, anybody else that I can pray for? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you know all the hands that have gone up. It's a dark room, but I can see hands that have gone up. And here's what I know. They're not not just hands. Those are people with souls. They're people that you, your image is bore in them, and you're inviting them into a personal relationship with you. So I, I pray, God, give them the courage to come get their bulb today, to mark this moment, because it's a marker moment. It's a burning bush moment. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Now listen, if that was you this morning, if you, like, this is your burning bush moment, on behalf of this church family, I want to welcome you to the family of God. Now, like I, like I prayed, this could be your marker moment. It would be a courageous act, a beautiful act. We would love to s- celebrate with you. If you have the courage, if you could muster up the courage, get up, come down and get your bulb and Bible. There's somebody that'd like to pray with you. We would love to celebrate with you. This is a celebratory moment. 
And the reason we're already fired up is because many of us have had that moment. That's why we're going to stand right now, because the only appropriate response to God's Word and the Gospel is to praise the one to whom it points to, Jesus himself. Let's lift up our praises. Come get your bowl.